section of James. Uh, it, uh, I don't know if it feels like we're finally concluding to you guys or if you feel like it's come quickly, but uh, it, it's felt quick to me that I've enjoyed uh, this walk through the book of James. And we'll be reading today, if you'll turn in your Bibles, to James chapter 5, uh, verses 19 and 20. Would you please stand with me as we read? James 5, 19 through 20. Brethren, if anyone among you wonders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of of sins. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. And Lord, we, um, we understand uh, the reality is that um, we are fallen individuals. Uh, God, we're all sinners in need of a Savior. Lord, those of us who have um, been drawn in by your grace and we have uh, come into a relationship with you, Lord, we've been saved by grace. And yet, Father, that does not mean uh, that we do not fall away from it at times, that we do not uh, slip, that we do not wonder. Lord, we thank you that you've used people in our lives for each of us to remind us where we need to be, to get us back on the path. Lord, help us to realize how important that is for all of us to be a part uh, of redeeming, of bringing back those who wonder. Lord, we pray and we ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Over the years, uh, Professor Howard Hendricks, who taught at Dallas Seminary, probably trained as many uh, young men and women for ministry as anybody in the country. Uh, He taught there for years and years and years and um, mentored uh, many people in the faith. And he tells the the story of a young man who had uh, been on fire for God, really serving God, but then he'd He'd wandered away. He drifted away from God. And um, finally, uh, he was brought back by a friend who loved him unconditionally. And he asked that man when he came back and when he was fully restored and, and in his uh, place of fellowship and service with God, he asked him what it felt like. And the man answered this. It seemed like I was being pulled farther and farther out to sea, in deep water. And all my friends were standing on the shoreline, hurling accusations at me about justice, condemnation, and sin. Then he added, But there was one Christian brother who actually swam out to get me, and he wouldn't let me go. 
I fought him, but he withstood my fighting. He grasped me, put a life jacket around me, and managed to pull me to shore. By the grace of God, he was the single reason I was restored. The man refused to let me go. Wouldn't we all want to be so fortunate when we drift away to have someone who cared enough to not let us go, to not stand silently watching as we go under, to not stand yelling at us, you're drowning. Isn't that what a lot of people do in the moral and spiritual and emotional world? They're glad to tell you that you're on a sinking ship that you're going down quickly. But how about those rare souls who jump in the water and they go out there with the mission of staying there until they've brought you back? That's what these last two verses of James are all about. We've been talking last week, we went through this section on prayer and on confession. And all this had to do with with the church. And when you get, as a Christian, when a Christian gets out of of the way, when they have a problem, if they're they're sick, you know, they should should pray to God about it. And if if they need to, call on the elders, call on others to pray for them. And, and, uh, man, if they've got a sin to confess and they can't seem to get over it, go talk to a brother or sister in Christ. And, you know, whatever. Whatever the need in your life is, James, last week we looked at the fact that if you're in need, don't just sit there and stand there, but call out for help. Get others to help you. Ask them to pray. Ask them to, to work through the situation. Ask them to forgive you if, if you need to be forgiven. Whatever it is, James said, go for it. Don't just let yourself go. But if he had stopped there, we might justify ourselves. We might say, well, I would have gladly helped. I mean, I really would. I was willing. I was, I was waiting. I was ready to help. But they never asked me. It's really sad. I, I knew it. I saw it coming. I could tell that's where they were going. But hey, what could I do? They never asked. And we might feel justified in saying that if James hadn't put verses 19 and 20. Because the question arises, what about that brother or sister in Christ? What about that person who doesn't call out for help? They're simply drowning. They have simply wandered further and further from the truth, and they are going down a destructive road in their life. That is where the destination ends, is destruction. What do you do? And James says, brethren... In other words, brothers and sisters. By the way, you guys know that, right? That when the Bible says brethren or brothers, that's, a, that's for everybody, okay? You need to know that. It's not like if you read the Ten Commandments, ladies, and you, say, you see where it says, uh, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. And you say, oh, there's a loophole, nothing about husbands. No, you can't do that, okay? Some of y'all are just now getting that. Okay, don't take that and run with it. I'd hate to know I enabled anyone, okay? So when he says brethren, he's talking about all of us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, listen up. Here's something important that you need to hear. 
He says, if you help one who's wandered from the faith. He uses a word here that's in the Greek is planeo. It's from which we get our English word planet. Because when they gazed at the sky, at the stars, they would see these, these stars in fixed places, but the planets seemed like wanderers because they were going on their orbit. And he uses that exact same term, these folks who just kind of wonder. They didn't just all of a sudden one day say, I hate God, I hate the church, I don't like his people, and I want to get away. It wasn't like that at all. It was just a little thing and another little thing. And they just started, you know, this little bitty bad habit and this little thing of disobedience and this little bit of missing church and this little bit of this or that, and they gradually wander further and further away from the truth. A lot of times, a good bit of this happens before we even notice, before we see anything. And so he says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now, there's a lot to unpack here. What is he talking about? First of all, he says, if anyone among you wonders. Now, that's the first thing before we get in our heads about helping anybody else is that you and I need to have the understanding and the attitude that this could be me. There but for the grace of God go I. If we start to think, well, this is a great sermon, let me look around for who I should help, the first thing we need to say is, where am I? Am I on the path? Am I on the path of life? Am I on the right track? Or have I wandered from the faith myself? He, he doesn't say if new Christians or old Christians or if people who are in leadership or not in leadership. He says, if any one of you wonders, and it is possible for any of us to wonder. Wonder from what? What do we get off of? He says, if any of us wonder from the truth. You and I can wonder from the truth in an infinite sort of way, number of ways, but there's really two different categories of wonder from the truth. The first way you can wonder for truth is bad behavior. You just step off in it. I mean, you just, okay, I, I'm, I know I shouldn't do that, but I'm going to. And, and you just start getting on that path. Maybe you're on the fence at first, but you start behaving in ways you shouldn't behave. But we can also wonder from the truth in terms of taking on bad belief. We start to listen to anything but God's word. Uh, we stop evaluating what other people say, whether it's me or your Sunday school teacher or your grandma or your next door neighbor or your coworker, whatever. You start buying into any man or woman's word without comparing it to God's word, and you can end up in error. And you can end up believing and even teaching others the wrong way. Either one of these things is possible, and a lot of times they go hand in hand. Because if you behave the wrong way long enough, have you noticed you'll start believing the wrong way? Have you noticed how people do that? I mean, they'll do something and they'll know, I know I shouldn't be doing this. I know I shouldn't be doing this. But before long, either it's going to bother them enough that they quit doing it, or their belief is going to get changed. They're going to start saying, you know what, maybe it's not so bad after all. 
I mean, lots of other people are doing this. Doesn't seem too bad for them. It's, it's you know, times have changed, and, or it's just my circumstance and situation. All kind of excuses they'll make. However you wonder from the truth. James says, if anyone among you wonders from the truth, and someone turns him back. Now let's think about that someone. Again, James isn't specific. You know what he doesn't say? If elders turn him back. If Sunday school teachers turn him back. If the, if the uh, oldest member of the church or the youngest member of the church turns him back. He just says, if anyone. Because a lot of us, I think, let ourselves off the hook. A lot of us say, well, that guy's drowning, but you know what? I'm not a certified professional lifeguard. I mean, you know, I, I don't have one of those spiffy suits with the little cross on it. And, you know, I, I'm just not really equipped. I mean, I watched Baywatch a time or two. I don't admit it, but that's really all, that's really all the lifeguard experience I have. So I guess I can't help them. No. God says, if anyone wonders and if anyone turns him back, any one of us can get away from God. And any one of us can turn someone back. We simply have to care enough. Uh, Paul, in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 6, has a lot to say about this. He says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now, Paul there is just saying, look, if anybody gets overtaken in trespass, in other, just another way of saying what James, if anybody's fallen into sin, if anybody's gotten off the path, you who are spiritual, that simply means somebody who hasn't also gotten off the path. Okay? That doesn't mean, oh, someone who's an apostle or an elder or a pastor. No, if you're walking with the Lord and you see someone who's gotten away from walking with the Lord, restore Man, that's a key word. You know, the Bible doesn't have a lot to say about judging, at least in a positive sense. It says God's a judge, but it says you and I, we're, we're not judges, but we're reconcilers. We're restorers. We're to help other people get back. How do we do that? Blessing them out? No. In a spirit of gentleness. And again, here's the humility that comes with this considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Anytime you and I seek to help someone else out spiritually, this has got to be done with a lot of prayer and a lot of humility. And we got to say, God, show me. God, is there a log in my eye before I try to take the speck out of my brother's eye? Lord, is there some sin in my life that I need to confess? This doesn't mean that you say, am I a perfect person? Because none of us are. But you don't want to be a hypocrite and come to someone and say, well, you know what, you need to quit stealing money from your work uh, when you know you're doing the same thing. Or you're doing some other open uh, or some other continuous willful sin. If you're in that place, you help that person and you do it with a spirit of humility. 
let me say um, who this message is for. If you're listening to this message and you're saying, oh, yeah, man, I can't wait. I got some people I want to restore. I want to put them back in their place. Uh, and you're, like, excited and anxious about this. This is really not for you. You, you need to go home and think about that humility part some more. Uh, you, you need to really think about where you are in areas of pride in your own life. This message is actually for those of you who are sitting here thinking, well, that's a great thought, but, you know, I, I'm probably not in a place where I could ever help somebody out because I've got a lot of faults and failures in my life. Well, the simple solution to that is understanding you're not ever going to be perfect, but you can be walking with the Lord, okay? And sometimes saying, well, I'm just not good enough, that's not humility, that's a cop-out. That is saying, well, I can't help them because really I'm too lazy or too disobedient to want to get back to where I need to be with God so that I can help them. You and I acknowledging our sinfulness on a regular basis, going to God in confession, but we ought to have that attitude, Lord, help me be in a place where I'm not fixated on my selfish desires, but I'm also not fixated on my sin. Lord, help me be fixed on you so that my eyes can actually be open to what you want me to do in people around me. You and I are not there to judge. We're not there to laugh or to mock or to say bad things about those people that are drowning. We're there with the life jackets. We're there to help them. What happens if we help them? Verse 20 says, Let him know. That is, let the person who is rescuing someone from spiritually drowning, who there's, they've stopped someone who's about to wreck their life, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will, cover, will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. First of all, the word sinner here. It's used in different ways in the Bibles. Uh, sometimes um, it is used, the, the Pharisees used it as a put-down. Never of themselves, see, they were not sinners. They were the righteous in their mind. They, and other people were the sinners because they didn't live up to their man-made standards. James isn't using it that way here. He's saying, by sinner, he's simply saying somebody who's gotten off into sin. Okay? And these are Christian people he's talking about here. Not people who don't know Jesus. People who know Jesus but have gotten away from him. He says, if you've helped that person, then you've done two things. He says, you have saved a soul from death. And you've covered a multitude of sins. To save a soul from death, soul can be translated as life. He's basically saying, you've saved someone's life from destruction. Death can be literal, and the Bible does talk about sometimes believers can get so far from God that God says, I've had enough, and, and you know, you're not going to carry on with that anymore. And God can actually shorten uh, life in that way. But certainly that is a rarity, and certainly that is, uh, that is not the norm. But what we do is we experience the consequences of death in our, 
in our life experience. We experience destruction. We experience uh, the bad side of things, the negative consequences that God's laid out there. See, Scripture, uh, generally speaking, lays out two paths in life. There's a path of life and a path of death. We walk on the right path as we do what God wants us to do. We experience life. This doesn't mean everything goes our way. It doesn't mean that we, we get every raise we want or that all our relationships go wonderfully. What it means is that we are in fellowship with God, and we experience the benefits and the blessings of being in right relationship with God. When we get off that path and we wander away, and basically everything except for this kind of narrow path of life, anywhere else we go, when we get off that path, uh, these are the ways of death. And we start to experience the negative consequences of separation from God. The more we sin, the more we ignore God, the more we distance ourselves from him, the more we experience the natural consequences of being away from God. And he says, number one, if you help turn someone back, then you have saved that person. You have helped them to avoid all of the consequences, all the pain and the suffering and sorrow that they were going to experience. But he, number two is, okay, here's a surprise bonus. Besides what you've done in their life, how you've helped them, it says it will cover a multitude of sins. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean that if I... Um, want to sin a little bit, but I also help some other people out, I can kind of cancel that out. Will, will God kind of turn a blind eye to what I do over here if I do some good stuff over here? No, not exactly. That's, that's not what that means. But what it does mean is that God, as he evaluates our life, he does take into account our attitude and our behavior toward there was a case uh, it was, uh, the other day where a couple of guys in England, uh, they, had, they were criminals, they admitted their crime, and the judge kind of felt sorry for them. And, uh, and she let them off with a suspended sentence. They were just going to go on probation and, you know, and everything was going to be fine. And so these guys, of course, they had played real nice and they were very sorrowful and all that in the courtroom. And so they get home. And they are done, and they say, boy, we put it on her. We fooled her. And they go on Facebook, and they write about how much they have fooled her and how much they've gotten away with it. And guess what? That judge says, you're coming back to me. You're coming back to the courtroom. And they went back to that courtroom, and their full sentence had to be served. You know, if you're a criminal, don't announce it on Facebook. That's just a tip, an extra, okay? Dumb stuff people do. Well, guess what? God doesn't have to check your Facebook to know what your heart and your intentions are. He sees everything about your life. And actually, God makes clear in a number of passages in the Bible that what your intentions are, how you, how you treat other people, that kind of filters the way God looks at you and the way he evaluates your life. For instance, we've been studying on Wednesday nights uh, about the Lord's Prayer. And, and we get to that part, we say it without even thinking, but we say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, or trespasses, 
trespassers. We don't even think about that. But God has said there, now, the way that I forgive you, the way that we maintain close relationship has a lot to do with the way you treat others. Do you forgive them the way I've forgiven you? 1 Peter 4.8 uses the exact, some of the exact same terminology James does here. And Peter says, love covers a multitude of sins. We could list a bunch more verses, but here's the point. When you and I stand before God one day, if you're a believer, okay, and so you're, you've already, you're going, you have a relationship with God, you're going to be in heaven with him, but he stands and he evaluates your life. There's some, let's, let's say, mitigating factors, okay, that he's going to consider when he begins to look at our life and evaluate us. Again, not to decide whether we get into heaven or hell, but when he just evaluates us, when he says well done or not well done, when he decides you're much rewarded or you're not rewarded at all, he looks and he says, well, is that person, has they, have they forgiven others? Have they treated others with love? Have they cared enough about their brothers and sisters in Christ that when they see them walking off the deep end, when they see them about to drown, that they actually go after them and try to rescue them? Or are they just cruel and mean and hateful and talk about them or ignore them and do nothing to help them? And James says, if you're on this side of helping turn people back, if you care enough, that you don't just say, well, that's their problem, hate it for them, but you actually try to reach out in love, not to judge, but to restore? James says that covers a lot of sins. In other words, God looks at your life, and he kind of filters it through the compassion and mercy that you've had on others as he evaluates your life. The way you treat other people directly affects your relationship with God. So, ever since the beginning, when man first stepped into sin, we know the first brothers, Cain and Abel. And we remember Cain. As God says, Cain, where's your brother? Hadn't seen him around. Cain says, I, I don't know God. Am I my brother's keeper? And the answer of all of Scripture is yes, you are. You and I are to look out for those around us who are in need. Not to judge, criticize, stomp on, pile on, none of that. But we're to look at those in need in love to try to restore them to the faith. Pray with me this morning. God, we come to you. And Lord, I got to confess that for a lot of time in my life, many, many occasions, I have not lived out this verse the way I should. God, on many, many occasions... I've ignored those who are spiritually drowning. Even worse, sometimes I've judged them. God, I confess 
Lord, I stand before you without knowing individual stories, but God, I just believe as a congregation I can confess for us all because I think that we've all been there at times. And Lord, we, we come to you to say, Father, we're sorry. We are grieved by our callousness. In light of the fact that you have given amazing grace to us, and yet, God, we have failed to extend it to others. Or we've cheapened grace, and we've pretended that we've been full of grace when we've watched someone go down a path of destruction, and we say, okay, we love you anyway. Okay, live, live however you want. And God, knowing that's not what grace is about. God, your grace and your love for us, God, you caught us in sin, and you brought us to yourself, and you've called us to lovingly, humbly, sensitively, caringly reach out to those who are drowning. And Lord, of course, to those, Father, who've never known you in the first place. God, for those who are already off the deep end, Lord, we certainly, in love, need to share the message of the truth with them. Lord, I pray that you'd help us today to have a new commitment to you, to love you and to love others enough that we won't just stand by and watch people throw their lives away. Just like parents love their kids enough to say, no, don't you chase that ball into the street. And we run and we snatch them up before they run out in front of that car. Lord, help us to love our family and our friends. Lord, our church family, to love one another enough that we won't let them go down to destruction without a fight, without doing everything we can. Help us to be sensitive, to see it when it's happening, and loving and courageous enough to go after them. God, in this time now of commitment to you, I just ask that you put on our hearts, first of all, Father, our own sin where we've wandered from the truth. Lord, help us to take a good look at our own lives to see where we need to get right with you. But God, then to consider and love others that we can kindly, tactfully, lovingly care about enough to help turn them back to the truth. God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's your opportunity to do business with the Lord. That business uh, can be talking to Him about getting right in your own life. That business can be lifting someone up. That business can be committing yourself to helping others who desperately need to be brought back. Whatever God is calling on you to do today, you respond. I'll be down front if you need prayer uh, or if you have a public decision. God has led you to this church, and, and it's time, you know, to join this church. Maybe you need to make a public profession of faith and say, I've believed in Christ, but I haven't made that public, and I've 